Welcome, dear listener, to Season 5, Episode 4, Weekend at Crombies. Tonight, we will be reviewing The Duelists. Welcome back, dear listener. I hope that your cadenets are suitably braided and your moustaches waxed as we look into the film The Duelists. But before we do that, I should introduce myself. I'm Hugh. I've never heard a bad word said against Moss. <laughs> My name is Dr. James Evans Esquire. I'm going to be killed responsibly on horseback as a compliment to the cavalry. Well, there's a way to go. <laughs> Very good here. For yes. tonight, we will be reviewing uh, Ridley Scott's uh, theatrical debut. Theatrical fe- debut, yeah, The Duelist. Yes, mm. not on theatre, we should say. That was the, no, you know, we, <laughs> the movie theatre debut. Yeah, indeed, indeed. I mean, I he made lots of adverts before then, but this is his he, first film. Yeah, he said himself he directed something like 1,500, 2,000 commercials. Um, what? Yeah, and before he realised... Um, he had to finance his own film to get it made. We'll come to that in the in the in the, the notes about it. But yeah, he uh, he did yeah. a lot. It's a lot of adverts. It's a lot of shaking oh. back. <laughs> it is, isn't it? And I mean, you know, two thousand adverts is, you know, you put them together, that's War and Peace, isn't it? That's uh, that's Lawrence of Arabia. You could probably get the director's cut of Ridley Scott's adverts. <laughs> <laughs> you probably get the fortieth year anniversary director's cut without the narration or something <laughs> like that. And a happier ending. <laughs> yeah. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about The Duelist. So uh, 19, yeah. 1977, uh, his Ridley Scott's first tentative steps into moviedom. So, uh, James, this was your choice. Would you like to lead us off? And then I will quickly take the reins off you <laughs> and steer us aright. <laughs> yeah, please do. Um, yeah, so uh, the, the film begins with um, Harvey Keitel. Yeah. Um, Natural a, choice for a Napoleonic period <laughs> yeah, drama. Very thick American accent. Um maybe unsurprisingly having a duel um with uh, uh someone this is where you take over here yeah we should we should probably mention Harvey Cattell is not having it in the Bronx with a broken glass bottle this is Strasbourg yeah. 1800 yeah uh, it is yeah as as, Cattell, as, yeah. as highlighted at the start of the film yeah Harvey Cattell is a is that okay? The narrator, we come to the narration. The narration very clearly tells us there's a voiceover that doesn't mince words in what it's doing. It tells us yeah. this is a Napoleon's army, and these are his officers. They're both. Um, Avicatel is a hussar, which is a, a dashing cavalry officer. So they're more about the duels. Gabriel Faro. Uh, Gabriel Faro. Yes, yeah. Farrow. No, it's not Ferrod. <laughs> Faro. <laughs> so, uh, although if Avicatel tells it, it probably would be Farad. Yeah. So He's got Farad. A fantastically waxed moustache. Oh. Like, and I, my mention of cadenets, these are the little yeah. pigtails that uh, the cavalry officers wear down their sideburns. Um, yeah, it's a nice historical touch, isn't it? It is, it is. I think it's meant to be, um, the idea was it, it would you know, deflect or at least um, help sh- absorb the impact of a sword blow. I think they just, I I think just thought it looked good. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, exactly. I can't see how that would deflect a sword blow. I think, this, I think, this, is, I think this, is, this is history looking back trying to find some rational fashion. <laughs> yeah. It's like saying that people have undercuts these days because I air to get to their heads. Undercuts, yeah. Uh, as as someone who sported a very fetching undercut in the uh, mid nineties, I resent that statement. You see, you've now gone for the full overcut. Well, I don't have a choice now. <laughs> <laughs> I had a choice then. I don't now. Uh, where were we? So Harvey Cartel is a lieutenant fellow, and and having it, it literally begins with a duel and. Um, 
Yeah, you don't fancy the other guy's chances because Harvey Keitel yeah. is just looks murderous and very quickly runs him through. Yeah, and also um, he's Harvey Keitel, so yeah, you know yeah. it'd be weird if he died in the first scene. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a nice twist. Um, it would be. Yeah, there goes half the budget. Harvey's dead. Um, yeah. But so he's running through. However, this person I think was the the local mayor's son, um, which is not good. Um, no. So the next scene is the uh, the general um, marching around saying, you know, just, he goes into his, his group of officers saying, who knows Lieutenant Farode? And then um, uh, a, a young officer, Le Dubert, yeah. uh, Armand Dubert. Armand Dubert, there's a French name. Yeah, oh, come on, that is the, that's the best Dubert. name in Weekend of Crombie's history. Yeah. Armand Dubert. Uh, played by uh, Keith, Keith Carradine. Keith Carradine, very, very early. Um, early yeah. um, Quite an underrated actor, I think, Keith Carradine. There we go. He's had a lot more work in TV, and I really like him in mm. that. He hasn't had a lot. He was, he was a young man in movies, but we'll come to his performance in this. Yeah. But yeah, um, he is, I think, underrated. But anyway, um, although I think he might have won an Academy Award, which. You um, are, no way. That's uh, the kind of tidbit that I should be pulling out. <laughs> You fish around for it while I continue with the story. <laughs> yeah. anyway, we did so, say that this would be a really quick run-through of the plot, didn't we? Not the first duel yet. That opening duel doesn't count. Um, so the um, so Dubert makes the uh, the biggest mistake of his life when he goes, oh yeah, I kind of know Ferrer, I'll do your errand for you. That, <laughs> yeah. that was it. He, he wasn't picked. He just said, I'll do it. I can, I'll, be, I'll be helpful. It is literally the worst decision he could ever have made. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and all he wanted to do was make a good impression to his boss. Um, yeah. So the boss says, you know, them, this furrowed has just, you know, skewered the mayor's, mayor's son, um, you know, find him and put him under house arrest until I can deal with him. So he, uh, Dubert toddles off, he goes to Ferrode's house, Ferrode's not there, he goes to this, uh, um, what have they got, a salon, a lady's salon, where basically rich people are doing posh things, you know, there's no telly, they've got to sit around and they're playing music or looking at paintings. There's a, yeah, there's, there's like a... Um... It was like a eunuch. <laughs> the yeah. way that they're singing, you know, he's like, yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah, someone's singing. It's a salon yeah. where where yeah. where the uh, the elegant hangout and there's a kind of a lady. Not there. a eunuch. What are they called? Castrato. Castrato. That's it. That's <laughs> suppose also a technically a eunuch. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, but yeah, come let's on. Not, let's not split hairs. Let's get it right. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, uh, Dubert quite politely invites Dubert uh, for to come out. He doesn't like take him by the ear, but he. There's nothing less... wrong with how he addresses ferro no so, so he, he basically yeah, get, begs begs everyone's pardon and escorts ferro out and back to his house where he can be put under house arrest um this is too much for ferro because <laughs> he's been slighted hasn't he oh my god he is it, he flies outraged. he flies off the handle at, at dubert yeah. um and at the dubert is a little bit puzzled just saying like i've, I've well, been patient with you. <laughs> yes. he's like i've been patient with you um but eventually he, he keeps on he keeps on keeps on and goads him to the point where dubert goes okay let's have a duel so they uh they take out their swords go to the courtyard um they start to improvise seconds because of course they're both still sticking to the rules of duels we have to have a second and all this kind of stuff but they basically grab the nearest peasant and says right you you're my second yeah. um, and they have a bit of a, of a, a clash flash sword fight nothing too deadly but um but Farode's forearm gets slashed and he falls backwards and i think it's knocked out as well um yeah and he can't continue and yeah also uh, dubert can't really continue because then Farode's wife just um or his mistress leaps on him and scratches his face yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, 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 she comes from nowhere she's like a ninja it's hilarious he's like, he, yeah. like there's a sword fight dubert you know, and Farode goes down dubert's looking over him and before he can gather his wits out of nowhere comes his mistress like yeah it's like Cato. <laughs> 
So that's duel number one. And it's, again, it's, um, it's not great for um, Dubair because the general yeah. is not amused with him. He's, he, he, like yeah, he's, he gets dismissed, doesn't he? He does. He says, you look, you're a disgrace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're no so, use to me at all. Yeah, he's a, not great for Dubair. Um, but it's got nothing to do with him. He, he did nothing wrong. <laughs> he, was, he was kind of saying, you know, you know I'm sure when the, when the inquiry comes to light, it'll all be clear. Because there'll be no inquiry. Get out, you're a disgrace. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's that. We then have quite an interesting conversation with... Um, Dubair's roommate, played by Tom Conti, who's a doctor in the army. Quite um, a small role, yeah. I mean, loads and loads of yeah, yeah. small roles in this kind of becoming there. Um, and basically, uh, firstly, we learn that uh, Dubair is sending the doctor to look after Ferrod, who's had his arm cut. So even after he's fought someone and hurt him, he sends a doctor too because he's that. And, and, and this this concept of honour, yeah, you know, it, it it it's a motif through the film, isn't it? Oh, and absolutely for for Dubair, this is this yeah. is this is what yeah. impales him on honour. Um, well, I think also for Ferrod, although. He, the, and that's the irony, isn't it? That yeah. both both are stuck to honour, but for very different reasons. Yes, yes. Um, but after Tom Conti comes back and they kind of celebrate the fact that um, Dubair's um, moving on to his uh, to different um, quarters or different uh, posting, uh, he kind of lays out um, the fact that a um, He's saying the whole town is talking about your duel because you know, dueling is allowed, but it's a bit, you know, it's a bit taboo, it's a bit risky because, you know, someone could die. And then so if you're a duelist, you are, you know, a man of some intrigue or some dash. Mm. Um, and so he's already making um, Dubair's reputation. And but he's like he saying... sets out the rules, though, doesn't he, of how to avoid having a having a duel with Furrow. Yeah, because <laughs> Dubair's not keen to continue with fighting Furrow. So he goes, look, there's three things you can do. You can't fight if you're not in the same place, so stay away from him. You can't fight if you're of different ranks because it's not ethical so stay, thing, is it? keep ahead of him in promotions and you can't fight this is a war on because he basically means that you know dueling nations takes precedent over dueling people um and, that, and that's pretty much the you know what dubair's aim for the movie is to get <laughs> yeah, to, his to, life. one of those three criteria <laughs> yeah. um, so it it's not long afterwards, unless you were there uh yeah they're in uh in augsburg. a year late in augsburg yes. a year later um and um it, yeah funnily enough, uh Ferro is as arm wrestling, so he he loves to, to take on challenges. He can't he can't not fight someone. <laughs> well, and also he loses the arm wrestle and then immediately requests another arm wrestle. Yeah, although it's funny, he does he does blame he says he says like the uh, the the um the wound on his arm and never heals. Maybe that is the wound he took um mm -hmm. from yeah. Dibber. Maybe that's some justification because he's not letting up. He finds uh, Dubert um, and challenges him immediately. Like he's he's got this um this second who's always hanging around him, and basically causing trouble. Yeah, shifty looking character. Yeah. Um. So they they find him and they they have probably the most normal of the duels where yeah. they actually bit it, you know go into dawn and they bit a bit of grass and they find their seconds. Alan Armstrong is now in there as Dubert. <laughs> Yeah, he is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and they they get out these these um, these lightsabers, um, small swords, you know, the little pointy ones. Now, um, when Hugh says lightsabers, it doesn't mean those <laughs> that you find in Star Wars. Oh, no. <laughs> they fight with everything else, though. <laughs> yeah. Let's call them small swords, just to just to get, uh, make sure there's no confusion. Yeah, I mean, this is set in the past. Yeah, we should say they they have so many fights. Lightsabers and those big sumo suits are the only yeah. weapons they don't employ by the end of it. <laughs> big sumo suits, yeah. That would be an odd turn of events in <laughs> Augsburg in 1801. If I think if I was trying to do it, I would pick big inflatable sumo suits as my weapon of choice. <laughs> in 1801? Yeah, it's like you're hanging around to the invented. <laughs> I suppose it would, it, yeah, it would, it, I mean, you'd, it would, you'd put the other person on the wrong foot, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, what's this? <laughs> 
but nonetheless, okay, so small swords, poignards, they, they fight with. There we go. And, and they have one of their, one of their most normal duels where they actually um, face each other in the grass at dawn with their seconds. And even when they're, they're doing that thing where they're kind of tip-tapping their swords ready to yeah. start. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Dubert, they don't move. They're like, they're, they're like statues, aren't they? Yeah. And then Dubert just holds up a finger saying, hang on, and he has to turn to sneeze. And <laughs> yeah. he puts his handkerchief back and they fight again. Yeah. But almost immediately, he's, 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 he's pinked. He's, he's, he's yeah. jabbed very quickly. And so quickly, the film almost doesn't make anything. Like they run together. Mm. He just goes, ouch, and walks away. And he collapses. So clearly, he's been actually run through. Um, so the duel is over almost before it's begun. Yes, but yeah, so it, it can't continue, even though Pharaoh wants it to. He's well up for it. Yeah. Oh, he's well up for it. Because yeah. I was thinking, even though he's, he's won and, and his, his yeah. opponent has been you know grievously hurt, because he, he is hurt, he falls over. He is, he's, yeah. he's taken one through the chest. Um, even though all this has happened, it wasn't a fight. He hasn't got a chance to get his blood up, so he's not really satisfied. He's kind of yeah. like, so he's a... Uh, He's think. still up for it, then, isn't he? Basically, he's, he a, he's a he's a knobber. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's just I an idiot. I was trying to think of a delicate way of saying the French way of saying blue balls, but yeah. <laughs> he, he was trying to drag Dubert up and just say, "Come on, keep him fighting." Um, so as uh, as Dubert um, kind of recovers and recuperates, his mistress Laura has come along now um, mm. to kind of be his his concert confidant and is consoling him. And in fact, I think uh, this is where. Um, is where she wants him to they so she's just listening to him talking about you know, why he's doing it for honor and this kind of stuff and um and then immediately he, he actually takes it seriously because he now knows you know he's fought um forward twice he's got to fight him again it, the, the matter yeah. is not settled yeah. so he takes lessons he's, he's really you know he's really trying to win this one and this is evident in the third duel which happens yeah. very um shortly afterwards which is fought with big old heavy swords and yeah. it's it's brutal it's the, it's the most brutal of all the duels they have um you, you don't it's a good see... one as well isn't it yeah because oh, it's yeah. like it's like in a wine cellar or something isn't it yeah um, and it's a it go it, it's it's more extended than the others that we've seen it's, so far the sun is coming down for it yes yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah well again we, it's so extended we don't even see the beginning we come through no. in the dark moments as yeah. they're both torn up yeah shirts uh, ripped cuts everywhere they and, and they're they're exhausted they can barely lift this one to swing it ends up with the two of them just collapsing on each other and battering away and yeah. the seconds come and just drag by saying this this duel's over um so that's right uh, that's done um and Dubé then gets promoted to captain so he's kind of thinks he's got away with it yeah um, he's done he's, he's yeah he's 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 right and this is where this is because his mistress laura this is where they he starts to question this kind of bound um, view he has of honour and, and things actually is <laughs> what 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 is honour? Is it more honourable to think about um, you know that the woman that I love, for example, rather than getting into these fights? Yeah. Although Laura has now moved on, hasn't she? She's uh, she found someone else. Um, she's kind so of a, didn't last long. She's kind of a soldier. She's kind of a soldier's girl. Um, so she, she is, found yeah. Yeah, um, somebody who's a bit more um, stable to, to end up with. Uh, so yeah, five years later now. Um, and interestingly, the uh, the voiceover is very keen to tell us that fashions have changed um, because because uh, <laughs> yeah. Keith Cameron oh, is no longer sporting his catanet. No, he's his, not, is he? And rather just have that as something to notice, the yeah. uh, the announcers <laughs> go, "Look, we didn't get it wrong, okay." <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't really see this film as a commentary on, you know, early nineteenth-century fashion. Yeah, but but you know, fair, fair enough. It's Stacy Keach as well as the narrator. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Um, so they're now they're in uh, they're in Lubeck, Lubeck, um, and um, Dubert has arrived, and his, his friend has basically said, 
watch out, Farode is in town and he's a captain <laughs> yeah. too. Um, They're in yeah. like a tavern, aren't they? Yeah, uh, like speaking in the voice saying, Farode's in town, watch out. He's, he's, he's behind you. Yeah, it literally is behind you. And <laughs> and um, but Dubert is like, it's, it's fine. I'm, yeah. I'm going to be promoted to major and I've got two weeks leave coming. Two weeks. All I need to do is walk out of this tavern <laughs> and it's, everything's fine. As soon as he stands up, Farode's second goes, hello, uh-huh. I know you. <laughs> so he's been caught. Um, and it, and it becomes a very big deal. And this is, again, they, like everyone is getting queued up for it. They decide to fight on horseback because they're both cavalrymen um, and all this kind of stuff. And this is the this is the, the point when Dubert has really lost his taste for it. The first you know, the first one was a kind of mistake. The second one was over and quickly. The third one, he went for it. The fourth duel, he thinks uh, Ferro's going to kill him. And he, and he thinks he's had enough of it as well. Yeah. But he can't get out of it. Um, and even the fact that it's been made into this big, you know, Rasmataz compliment to the cavalry. He hates that too. So yeah. it's all bad. Yeah, he hates it, doesn't he? He hates the bombast. Yeah, or the fact that he's just being kind of fed up as kind of everyone's entertainment. Yeah. And the whereas, whereas Farod's loving it. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's loving it. <laughs> like he's constantly slashing his sword. In the, yeah. in the yeah. So this is it. So they, they basically queue up like jousting knights. So one, one is at one end of this, this long run and one is the other. And they, um, and as they get ready to go for it, um, Dubert has a lot of these flashbacks of the former duels. Um, I think his mistress, has re- Laura's returned um, because her husband has now died. But she basically says, look, why do you keep doing this? He's going to kill you, which isn't very helpful, but probably quite on the nose. Um, and so he and also as as they, they're riding towards each other, we keep getting sights of um, Dubert when he was waiting to do his charge and his lip is trembling and he's, he's yeah. just like he's, he's properly afraid. And the music is discordant and yeah. you know things aren't quite right are they no it, it looks like bad things are going to happen and yeah. they charge towards each other and of course they, they each have a big swing with their swords and um we see I mean, a hat, we'll say a hat a, cav- a big cavalryman's hat falls yes. to the ground but when yeah. the way it's filmed that's all you see the horses go past and i don't know whose it is do you well uh, horses go past you hear a swing of swords and a lump falls down that looks like a head possibly yeah. and like, yeah. it could you think has someone been decapitated because it could have happened it's, this and, film is 50 minutes long <laughs> <laughs> um and, and then they flashed back to actually no it was uh Joubert had had slashed over pharaoh's eyes he'd got, taken a cut on the minor cut on the head but because scalpoons bleed a lot he can't see it the blood's in his eyes so the, the duel the is duel's, over the duel is over and of course now Dubert knows he'll get his promotion they can't fight anymore and he feels liberated he is absolutely yeah. over Enjoyed this. He yeah. survived. He doesn't actually stop, does he? On the horse, he just rides out into the into yeah. oblivion. <laughs> I don't know if you again. I don't know if that was what you're supposed to do with a duel. Supposed to ride back and just check it's over. <laughs> he just but, keeps on going. Jumps well, he, over the hay bale. He, he's so happy. He leaps over a hay wain, um just because he's he's just in, he's exalted. The music too is now yippee. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's gone from discordant to joyous. Yeah, uh, and he's he's he's. You can see the relief on his face. He's relieved. It's over, isn't it? Faroud's survived. Yeah, Faroud's gone to Spain. Farouk goes to Spain. Uh, Hubert is still in Northern Europe, so you know, fair, yeah. fair play. Well, again, once, once again, the uh, the, the narrator um, comes in after after this joyous music as he gallops into the sunset. The narrator goes, "They met in six years' time for Armageddon." And slam, we're right into the retreat from Moscow. Yeah, so we are. It is, it is yeah, I mean, eighteen eighteen twelve is a big year, isn't it? Generally, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, you know, you don't, you don't not many years get an overture. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and it is it's um, it's not even the good bits of the invasion. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the, no, it isn't. It's the, it's the crap bits where everyone's cold and starving and dead, or frozen, or they're, they're fro- they're, yeah, there's broken yeah. wagons, there's dead yeah. horses, there's, yeah. there's, oh. there's people then, so they're frozen stiff. They haven't. They've just died sitting. Yeah, and they're again, that cold. 
Perun Dubert, I like even sit up at the fire with their with their mugs of I don't know water. Um, that's all they've got. Um, <laughs> yeah. Trying to keep warm their their beards. It's like that total oh, kind of yeah. they're a wreck. Um, yeah. They've got you know, blankets wrapped around their uniforms because they're trying to keep warm and all this kind of stuff. It still um, looked it still looked warmer than anything in the Great Silence. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that was a cold cold film. But uh, <laughs> but as they retreat, um, Ferrod again. God knows why he's still looking for a fight. He thinks he's this Cossacks in the wood. So he says he's got to go and hunt them. Um, again, just him, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 He, he is going to hunt He's going to hunt all the Cossacks. <laughs> <laughs> so he yells out, can he have a volunteer? Yeah. Um, and, and lo and behold. For some reason. Um, yeah. Well, Dubert. it's one though, isn't it? So, it, it? Dubert keeps coming back to, he, he keeps helping. Yeah, yeah. Faro. He's a fool. <laughs> he is like, just get him, get chopped by a Cossack. So they... Well, first they find again a, a ruined wagon, and so then Dubé and Faroe, they It's funny they don't quite acknowledge who they are. It's like I mean, because yeah. they're so they're so wrapped up in in blankets yeah. and facial hair. You think do they know they're each other? <laughs> it's like a start, but they do. They, but they're, they're, there's no acknowledgement. They just both of them have a pair of pistols in, the, in their hands, and they walk, you know, a couple of meters apart from each other, trudging through the snow, looking for Cossacks. Um, and an overturned wagon. There's a long moment where they look at each other, and you just think. Oh, I haven't found any Cossacks. Are they yeah. going to go each other? Yeah. <laughs> I think in any other circumstance they would have. Yeah. But um, it was even it was too cold for them. Yeah, but fortunately for everyone except the Cossack, a Cossack turns up and they shoot him, <laughs> uh, and then they shoot. They drive off some other Cossacks. They're actually fighting side by side for the first time ever. Given that they're in the same army over yeah, a war that lasts yeah. twenty years, yeah. this is the only moment they're united. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the only thing is though, Ferrod still an arsehole he is, because he is. He, he's you know Hubert offers him a, a, a you know, drink from his flask yeah you know like, it's like a whiskey or something be delicious Probably brandy I brandy yeah brandy. <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of imports from Scotland in this time <laughs> yeah no it'll be brandy and he's he looks brandy. at him and he says looks at him and goes no <laughs> he yeah. walks off yeah this man who's <laughs> stood side by side with him yeah. against certain death and then offered him a drink in a very cold place I'd have taken it I would have as well. Uh, also, the other was also the kind of he says, you know, pistols next time. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I don't think Dubert meant it. That's the thing. But uh, yeah. Perot's like, oh hell yeah, <laughs> <laughs> damn right, pistols yeah. next time. We do find that the the um, the, the, the second um, yeah. Ferrode's second in the previous duels is frozen to death. That yes. shifty looking character. Yeah, seven right. Um, yeah. So. Uh, Two years later on, Napoleon's retreat has ended in disaster and he's been toppled. He's off to the Isle of Elba. Um, uh, and Dubert is now a, a general, a brigadier general, um, who's living in quite a nice house uh, with his sister. Um, we should pretty mention, yeah, to mention that it's, we'll come to the themes of the film, but it's kind of cemented here that uh, Dubert is of aristocratic stock. Yeah, Not the kind that get you guillotined, but he's posh. Yeah, he's posh. Um, yeah. And Thoreau yeah. is not at all. No, although we're at the point where um well, not quite now but th there's there's change a brewing isn't there there's change in the winds and and um i think dupair is he's able to ride those winds of change so yes. as you say he's aristocratic but also i think he's quite pragmatic as well in his kind of beliefs and stuff and that's i think that comes through in the film quite a lot as well yeah he's the he, he um he doesn't go hard one way or the other like when when no, the, the nobles yeah. are saying you know death to napoleon he's like yeah, let's, yeah let's just... come on yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, 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 to me, it's like, I, I fought enough battles or whatever, this kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, he's uh, he's managed to be both again loyal to France and loyal to Napoleon, but they're yeah. not when he doesn't have to be. Um, Ferrod though is um, 
he's a firebrand for Napoleon, isn't he? Absolutely. He's, yeah. he's, he's died in the war of Napoleon. Yeah. Which again, which would explain because he came from common stock. He's, yeah. this, would, this would be the only way he'd get in the cavalry. He's a, again, he's being a general as well. I mean, the, um, there's a little side, the character Frode was based on, because this is based on a, on a Conrad book. That was it based is, on a, yeah. a real life instance of two guys who just would not stop dueling. <laughs> I, think, I mean, I was reading about that. It's even more extraordinary. Oh, they God. had 30 duels <laughs> over 19 years. Yeah, the movie you can make from that, because the, the guy that wrote, he, um, again, he went to Spain, where, again, famously, the French didn't do too well against the British. Yeah, but, um, yeah. He, as a cavalryman, he managed to break three British cavalry squares in one battle. <laughs> And when you think like, an infantry what? square, an infantry square yeah, is designed yeah. not to be broken by cavalry at all. At at all. He broke three. <laughs> like, no wonder he kept getting promoted. The guy was a menace. He was psycho. <laughs> you, you don't completely get that, but you've got the fact that, you know, De, De Beres rises to the ranks in, as he would by being working hard and being diligent. And Faro is just such a good soldier. They can't stop promoting him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but speaking of soldiers, again, so Napoleon, have, so we'll come back to, uh, keep on De Beres. De Beres is now, I guess living in peace. It's, uh, they don't know that war is coming back, and he's um, his sister encourages him to basically seek out and marry the the nice um, girl in the neighbouring manor, which he does. Um, there is a, quite a, an amusing scene um, when he proposes to her, and um, he kind of like gets on one knee and proposes. They've been out riding, and the two horses uh, are kind of nuzzling to them as well. And the the girl he's proposing to can't stop laughing. Um, or can't stop giggling. Yeah. Uh, the reason being is that in real life she couldn't stop laughing because I'd have shot one of the horses had an enormous erection. Oh really? <laughs> yes. That's why she's laughing and laughing and laughing. She's, oh, she's you know what? Being, yeah. I've got I, I've got I think I've got a couple of hours left on my um <laughs> on, on I might go and watch that scene again. Right, because... that the horse is not visible. No, but, no, 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 uh, no. I yes, I don't want. I'm not watching it for that. <laughs> but but the, the definitely the out of character laughing uh, is definitely there because she's, oh, she just can't stop. Well, um, they were they were both married in real life as well. Ah, uh, were they? Uh, Here in the horse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and the horses were married. Yeah. No, uh, Keith Carradine and Christina Raines. Yes, I I did hear a lot of again. We'll, we'll come to the, the production of the film, but a lot of these 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 actors were brought in by being someone's mate yeah <laughs> um because it was made dead cheap it's like uh we haven't, we haven't come it was favors wasn't it basically yeah albert finney who comes albert finney yeah he's in it for like, for like four a, minutes he got a crate of champagne or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is a very because i remember the uh, that mad max got made um because a lot of people were promised is a slab of beers which was the australian <laughs> currency clearly in uh when you're dealing with theatrical uh, people they <laughs> crate of champagne is, i'll do it I'll, I'll lend you my cab i'll do it for a slab <laughs> Oh, but notwithstanding, where were we? So, um, Dubai. We're at Tours, eighteen fourteen. Yeah, Dubai's married. Um, mm. so that's all very well and nice. Um, but um, Napoleon Bonaparte, a uh, little rascal that he is, has escaped from Elba and basically retaken France. So he's he's getting the old gang back together again. <laughs> so anyone who <laughs> the wasn't... boys are back in town, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> anyone who was basically a French soldier is being asked, "Do you want to sign up again?" Yeah. Um, and again, a Bonapartist, uh, played by Edward Fox, um, who of course he is, yeah. is, is kind of trying to ingratiate, saying, "You know, Dubert, you are you, are you loyal to Napoleon? Do you want to join us?" Yeah, and it's um. He's he's had a um. There's a rumor. Yes, there's a rumor going on that, that Dupere was never, he never loved uh, the emperor, which is yeah. why Ferro had kind of originally taken against him. Yeah, Ferro is making, is, it was making, he is making up. He's, he's yes, saying he's making up because yes. we remember the incident. The very first incident, Ferro is ranting about the emperor. Yeah, and Dupere goes, "What's he got to do with this?" <laughs> That's about yeah. as far as it goes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so. Um, 
so Dubert basically demures. He doesn't join in the Great Waterloo campaign. Um, but they, they go back and Frode, and Frode is there just ranting, you know, of course he is. He's a traitor. He, he yeah. never loved the emperor, la la la. Um, and and he, there's now his rationale in retrospect for fighting all those duels. Um, but again, Napoleon is defeated in Waterloo, uh, as Abba testified. He's um, up to St. Helena now, isn't he? To St. Helena, which is the furthest place on earth you could be, yeah. basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fair enough, they should have sent Farode there as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing. So, yeah, um, after all these. Um, so, yeah, uh, the monarchy is restored. So, yeah, Dubert backed the right horse there. It was a bit of a risk, though, given Napoleon was back. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, he did get the right horse. So he's he's living pretty. He married his girl and everyone's toasting, yeah, the, um, you know, Napoleon being exiled and whatnot. Um, but then uh, by pure chance, Dubert learns that um, of all the officers who've been rounded up for being particularly treacherous um, and, and marked for death for rebelling against the king, uh, Farod is there. Um, and in fact, he's we, on do, the list, isn't he? we do learn he's not on the list really because he saw Napoleon. Basically, he, his mouth got him on there. He just wouldn't <laughs> shut up. <laughs> yeah, because he's, he's a knobber. <laughs> yeah, it's like because um, um, Dubert then, again, for reasons, well, we know why to honour, but my God. Yeah. Just leave it, Dubert. <laughs> yeah, leave it. Leave, goes, literally leave it. Yeah, let's just do nothing. You don't have to do this. You've got a wife, yeah. soon to have a child. Yeah, he's so yeah, he's got a lot to lose. And <laughs> he then does, still, he when he learns that Faro is about to be executed, he goes to the Minister of Police, Fouché, played by yeah. Albert Finney, um, yeah. and just says... And, yeah, Albert Finney lording it up, I should add. Oh, he's loving well. it. Yeah, he's probably he had the champagne already. The, the first scene is him trying to fit into this slightly too small suit, and he's yeah. just loving it. Uh, and he basically says, "Look, I've got, I've got letters of recommendation from from um, Farod's officers. Yeah. You know, could you just, you know, spare him off the list, put him on house arrest? Um, and yeah, oh, by the way, he must never know I did this." Um, so Fouché goes, "Okay, okay," and he's going to get a nice letter saying, "Well, cross the name off the list. I'm not doing it all. <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing everything." Yeah, done you'll, you'll need a pen, won't you? <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, Farod is again spared. He's under house arrest. And what's the first thing is the house arrest? He finds out that Dubert is still alive. <laughs> so he sends a couple of his seconds who are also under arrest to sneak out. And they're a sinister crew. They are a sinister crew, aren't they? Yeah, some, one who's about 10 foot tall and the other one's got an eye patch. Yeah, they get, I mean, they... They, they they probably were yeah, posh officers at once, but yeah, time yeah. has been hard on them. They yeah, they, they look like vagabonds. Yeah, and, um, yeah they do. Because one, one of them is talking quite properly, but even he sounds sinister. He does this like he does. Yeah. Could could you please tell us who your who your seconds are? It's like what? Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's walking in the woods. He goes, oh, tell tell me where where Dubert is. And he goes, why do you want to know? Oh, we want to challenge him to a duel. Where your seconds? And he yeah. goes, what? Um, so for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than calling the police and saying, you know, Fro's broken his parole, yeah. he agrees now he to, agrees to this another, duel. Uh, and final duel. And this one is with pistols, of course. With pistols. Um pistols and, at dawn. Well, this is the thing. It's um I thought this was a fabrication to be more dramatic. Apparently this is how again, you know, back mm. in the original story, this is how they fought. Um yeah. so basically they don't they don't do the thing where they march. No, back they back don't, do they? Fire. They kind of play hide and seek. <laughs> <laughs> don't they? It is hard. Yeah, it's hide and seek. They both basically take a pair of pistols, said you get two shots each, and we'll go into this old ruin and we'll hunt, and then you know until one of us kills the other, and that's that. Yeah, no, I um, thought it would be you know, like eight steps, and then yeah. you turn around and fire. Yeah, but no. Um, but uh, so they uh, so they they stalk around the. Uh, and again, we, we can now establish that uh, Farouk has everything to lose. He's got his land, he's got his wife, he's got his child on the way, he's, he's fought his war. It's all good. Um, but nonetheless, Farouk is now caught up with him and they've got the two pistols. They go into the ruins and stalk around um, and Farouk 
takes his shot, pow, he drops he drops um Dubert, but he was uh, he was just ducking and covering because he uh he fires his second shot which misses him and uh Dubert has to drop on him. Yeah, and uh, the rules of combat, he doesn't have to actually kill him. Yeah, but he 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 almost owns Ferrode now, doesn't he? Well, this is the thing. Apparently, again, harkening back to the the original conditions. Apparently, what happens is, um, if they were ever to fight another duel with pistols, you'd get a free. You'd get to fire those two shots. Two, two shots, yeah. At that range, so basically, yeah. the duel would start with him having two pistols at one yard away, <laughs> and it would yes. probably end pretty quickly after that. Yeah, it would. Wouldn't so it, he's yeah. got a free shots basically. That he says, you know, if you, he basically says, would you, if you ever come back at me again. Yeah. Um, and by the, he said, by the, by the rules of your honour, I now own you. I will treat yeah. you as dead. You are dead to me. Act as if you are dead to me. Go away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm not convinced that if Ferro did want another duel, that Dupere wouldn't be up for it. <laughs> well, I think with two free shots at point blank range, I'd take those odds. I'd take those odds as well. Um, yeah, definitely. And so, there, so Farod, uh, Dubert goes back to his, his happy life, and uh, Farod is a, he's a little bit lost now. He doesn't know what to do. Um, and he climbs up to the top of the hill, doesn't he, and looks over the beautiful um, oh, Parisian it, landscape, it is, isn't it? Oh, really stunning. Nice. With, yeah. the, with the, the sun, the sunlight just coming through the clouds. It's a beautiful yeah. ending. Yeah, and very obviously mimics uh, Napoleon oh, and Centellina because yeah, he's, he's like even wearing the bicorn, yeah. the, the yeah. bicorn hat, staring yeah, out yeah, into yeah, nothingness because he's got nothing left. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's it. That's the end of the film. That's it. The, the, the last duel has been fought. Yeah. Well, given there is almost no plot in the film, <laughs> it, that went on for 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> It is. It's all character <laughs> plot. <laughs> it, yeah. uh, but, well, that, that's that, that's interesting, really, isn't it? Because, um, well, we, we'll come on to the analysis of the film. Um, indeed. As, as yeah, shortly. So grab yourself. I was going to say grab yourself a cup of tea, but take a swig of your brandy from your uh, from your hip flask. Yes. Now it's your turn, Hugh. <laughs> <laughs> that's as far as i can go with witty quips yeah i was being my furrow there and just walking off <laughs> you just left it with your flask of brandy handing i was like no one no one no one no one okay i will also take a swig of, of french brandy and uh, and meet you after the break i'm not a dancing monkey <laughs> <laughs> oh, welcome back Welcome back, dear listener. I um I trust your seconds have been suitably stationed, and uh, <laughs> and the uh, the flancy shirts are artistically stained with blood. <laughs> For it's time to come to the analysis of the film, The Duelists, uh, to where we learn a little bit more about it. And first of all, we'll learn why James picked this as his film. Well, yeah. I will say also. Um, that this is this is for those of us who are long term listeners. When James revealed this film. Um, First off, uh, last week, yeah. last you you went you went bonkers. There was an audible gasp. There was. I did quite know why. <laughs> well, this might explain. you you went. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you why. It's because I completely misunderstood which film it was and thought we were going to review *Woman in Love* by Ken Russell. <laughs> Which also has a dueling scene with yeah, Oliver. Yes, it's a very it. different film. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to make me watch, and hence the audible gasp. Well, swords were unsheathed in Women in Love as well. 
<laughs> which ironically will come into it that um again uh, Oliver Reed was the what, the original choice for Fouché. For yeah, yeah, he was Faroe. Faroe, sorry, I'm getting my yeah. Faroe. Um, yeah, he was. Yeah, absolutely. Which we'll, we'll come to that in the casting. But after why? Yeah. So after I've now revealed my complete ignorance <laughs> of films because Women in Love is nothing like the Julius. It's nothing like this. Film. Also, I don't think Women in Love is too well known. I think to be a weekend at Crombie's film, but um, it might have been it might have been fun to 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 review the film just for that scene. Um, yeah. Go, go yeah. and watch the horse, James. <laughs> I just, I, I really need to choose. A, it's been a while since I've chosen a film where I know that you would be squirming watching it with your wife. So there, may, there might need to be one of those coming up soon. Oh, joy. That'd be nice. <laughs> um, also, before we go on as well, like you were talking about like, you know, um, ruffled shirts, appropriately ripped and stained with blood. I, you know, the fashion in the, the turn of the 19th century it's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> just like the, the outfits these people wore are, are just insane. Would well, you know they, they used to wear um, a police? And do you know what a police is? No. A police, a police rather. Oh, police. Your police. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> it's a jacket that you can't wear. You, the, 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 the arms are sewn up. You literally have to just wear it over one shoulder like a half cloak. So it's a jacket. So that would be like, no so I've function. seen Napoleon wearing those. Yeah, well, all the all the cabaret officers wore their police, uh, and it, so it's literally, it's literally like it's like a hat with the top sewn up that you can't fit on your head. It's like it's just, it's it's like a hat for the body. It's a piece of clothing where the entire point of the clothing has been made redundant, and you still have to wear it. It's like shoes have been filled with concrete, and somehow you have to tie them to your feet and walk around in them. Oh no! Well, yeah, I mean that's what I mean. It's ridiculous. I mean their hats are about the size of tall trees i would know to, i gotta say a good basket would stop a saber cut that might have had some use maybe but oh you'd get neck pains wouldn't you, you would i don't know yeah anyway right okay why did i choose the duelists um yes. uh, uh well it, uh, one of the w way back in the day one of the reasons why we um why we decided to do weekend at crombies was to shine a light on on unloved or underappreciated films but also to one of the original ideas was to also look at um, films from directors uh, that maybe were less well known, but but within an oeuvre of very successful films uh, as well. Um, and I, I chose John Sowles in the, my, my, my last film um, with the um, the secret of Rowan Inish. Um, and I wanted to continue that a little bit um, with Ridley Scott. Um, obviously, this is his first film. I do think that although the film was relatively successful for what it was and Obviously, Ridley Scott went on to direct Alien and Blade Runner, his next two films. So, you know, a big, a big leap of um, kind of budget and cinematic success, I guess, in that regards. I think The Duelists, even if you are quite knowledgeable about Ridley Scott's filmography, isn't a particularly well-known film in that regard. Um, and, and so I've heard good things about it. I'd heard uh, an interesting kind of views on, on, on the film and, and how it compares to other films of its like at that particular time. Um, and wanted to see, not necessarily perhaps what the fuss was about, but, but to see w whether I could kind of highlight any, any, any Ridley Scott-isms yeah, okay. in the duelist that you might then go on to see in some of his more well-known films if that makes sense so it's almost like what what in this film did he develop if, if that makes sense yeah. uh, plus also you know it was a very low budget film um insanely low budget yeah so you know in the time it's about it's about nine hundred thousand dollars so you know yeah. and, and given it's got a 
it's got a good cast, but as you say, a lot of them, a lot of the cast would have taken, um, you know, it was it was friends asking friends, as it were, because Ridley Scott's yeah. quite well known in the industry, I guess, in that regard, because of his work in in, in television, um, and it's produced by David Putnam as well. So it's got quite, it's it's got kudos, it's got um, it's got a lot of weight behind it in terms of people, but the the financing wasn't there for the film, yeah. um, and so. It's, it, for me, it's just an interesting start. It's a very different type of film to what he went on to make, certainly in the late 70s and early 80s, which was like high concept science fiction. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, and, and this isn't, I mean, this I suppose in some respects, this is quite high concept because there isn't, it, it's a series of vignettes. Um, there isn't, there isn't plot between the vignettes. In, in that regard, it is simply the jewels, I guess. And you, you do you do build up a little bit of characterization, I guess. But in general, it's moving from one bit to another. So that's high concept, which is what I would take from Ridley Scott in this. Yeah, but, Ridley Scott, but again, very different. Funny. He's he's kind of quite a very mercurial um, director because when he's good, he's great. Um, oh yeah, and when he's bad, when he's, he's terrible. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's so. Agree. I can't think of a director whose films I really love or just have no time for at all. Yes, you're right, and um, and and that that also goes. So, what am I trying to say? That that isn't simply a time of a time in his career either. So, what I mean is, you don't get you know later years Ridley Scott is really terrible, and early years Ridley Scott is really good. No, some of his early stuff is bloody awful. Yeah. But Legend is terrible. Some of his later stuff is really good. I don't know yeah. if you've seen The Last Jewel. Um, which is currently on Disney Plus, I think, which has got Matt Damon and um, uh, Ben Affleck um, and uh, the, oh, I can't remember the bloke who was in the Star Wars films. But I can't remember what his name is. But anyway, you know, it's a very, very good film. So I've seen that. No, I'll put that yeah, down. It is, it's very good, actually. Um, but the point, yeah, you're right, though. The point with Ridley Scott is that he seems to go from two good films to a terrible film to three good films to two terrible films to a terrible <laughs> film to a good film you know so there's no rhyme or reason he doesn't seem to have trends he doesn't seem to go through a patch where he's just not putting the effort in it, yeah it's just it's something some stick and some don't right i don't get it which is remarkable i can't think of another director like that no i know and as i say you know he has made i don't know four or five films that you might consider to be not just classics but game changers genre defining you know you've got the horror science fiction in alien you've got the 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 futuristic dystopia in blade runner and you, you you've got the you've got the um the crime um kind of on the run in um Thelma and louise for example you know big big game changing films yeah um gladiator oh, yeah, yeah, that's another one. Yeah. yeah absolutely that's a really good example there yeah gladiator another cracking example of it's every now and again he just pulls one out of the bag which isn't just a great film is it changes the cinematic landscape or the language mm -hmm. of cinema for a bit and you think yeah. well how, what yeah <laughs> uh, and so and then he'll do robin all, hood <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly and just, or yeah um and what's that other one the kingdom of heaven yeah right yeah. um and you think and he, he doesn't seem to do small scale films so i know that the duelists is a small budget but no, he did like he did a good year as well which also i suppose of, that's I true. particularly good but. yeah I, I suppose that, um, that that's maybe unusual in his oeuvre then i guess really i don't but i don't think the duelists although the budget is small i don't think it's a small scale film i think it's quite a grand scale film yeah. but it's just it's filmed on a small budget if that, if that makes sense yeah uh, Anyway, so that's why I wanted to look at the duelists. I think Ridley Scott, he's not my favourite director by any means, but he's an interesting director. Yeah. And because he has such a role to play in 
late 20th century cinema, I was interested to see The Duelist because it isn't a very well-known film. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, what, what, what it what it was like, effectively. And I'd never seen it before. So very good. OK, well, would you like to begin then by looking at some of these themes? I do. Yeah. So. I have I have. Um, I'm not quite sure what I think about the duelist, if I'm honest. <laughs> so I've got I, I've th there are a number of themes that come through with the film. We've mentioned a couple of them. I think this concept of honor is a very strong theme within the film and yeah. the way that honor can destroy you um, and, and your adherence to it, I think, is is interesting. Um, but it, that isn't really I mean, that, that's a theme in the film, I guess, to a certain extent. But I, ha I have to say that um, that there are some there are some things about the film that I really like, and there are some things about the film that I find uh, that I wasn't so keen on, I guess, in, in in that regard. So I wouldn't say they're themes necessarily. They're, for me, it's more about the filmmaking process of okay. something like The Duelist, which I I found interesting. Um, and we can go on to the themes as well, but I just want to put my marker down on on where I stand with The Duelists, I guess. So um, the the film is, I think, technically sumptuous right yeah yeah I, I think if you know it's a film that costs nine hundred thousand dollars you know it costs nine hundred thousand dollars if you don't know that it could could have cost millions yeah i think it looks incredible for the money right um so the way that the sets are designed they look authentic they look grubby and also they look beautiful the cinematography well i will say i will say uh, on that um the sets were not designed or built everything, oh, no. yeah, everything was on location to save money so and, they, and maybe that's the reason why it looks so good <laughs> yes because but it's all on location yeah, yeah yeah and 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 yeah and then and that probably links into the cinematography and the shooting of the film because you've got that grainy almost 35 millimeter look yeah. of the film which is crisp you know there's a slight degradation in the film but i think that adds to the the atmosphere of it um so cinematography looks fantastic the period detail is like on point it's just totally on point can't be faulted i think yeah. i think it, the, the direction of the film is very fluid it's it's stylized there's flourishes in there you know the camera is very fluid in the process i think i i think it's a very technically clever film and i think it's masterfully directed um from someone who is clearly cut who's clearly cut their teeth in advertising right mm -hmm. you know it, it looks like someone who is pulling out all of the all all of his tricks that's yeah. the thing yeah, he was clearly desperate to do a feature because he, he had a he went for it there was like loads of stuff was happening in this oh film. absolutely you know just the way the way that the jewels are filmed the way that the lighting comes in in like the taverns and something yeah. it just looks great right it just yeah. it, it looks fantastic and that's I mean, the yeah, I mean, you say um, again when a film looks good, it's like every frame is a painting, um, and in this case, it, really it's, it was literally true because he's basing so much on the artwork of that time. Like they say, we, we mentioned the the, San, the was it Sanderson, a salmon one of, of the yeah. in exile, but like there's there's still life, like the bowls of fruit being lingered on, and oh, all this totally. kind of stuff. And they like yeah. they're, they're, when he walks across the uh, the landscapes, it's like it's like them because there's one in their their second duel, I think, when they're they're fighting and there's sheep in the background. It's like you know something from Constable or whatever. It, it totally is exactly absolutely right and it reminded in terms of filmmaking it reminded me of barry linden um the stanley kubrick film which is set in a similar time oh yeah, yeah. was and it was filmed only using natural light and um it's, you know there's jewels in there as well so it, it, it i think there was a i think that ridley scott was saying that what he was trying to do was um pay homage to to that film but didn't have the budget <laughs> right <laughs> so had to had to use different stylistic ticks to basically get it to be 
you know looking looking the way that it did so there's that technical side of it I think in terms of the in terms of the acting I think you know uniformly everyone in it puts a real shift in they are believable um I think I would have liked to have I would have liked to have known more about Faro. I actually think Faro's the interesting one here for me anyway yeah. I think he's he's such an he's such an asshole that he's interesting I, I I want to know more about him I think he's maybe there's a film where he's the main character and it's a comedy <laughs> you know, you know, he's almost like Leonard Rossiter in Rising Damp. He's just infuriating. He doesn't, you know, or yeah. um, the 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 rise and fall of what is that? Because the rise and fall of Reginald Perry, yeah, you know, yeah. something like that. You know, he's got a bit of that about it. Yeah, this was this was an issue. Yeah, I've got the same thing. Is the big problem that for it's just an asshole? Because if, <laughs> if it's a film about um, two characters. You only really get insight into one. It's Dubert. Yeah, there's Dubert, only one Dubert's, character, I think. This is one that we see his, in, his, his, his yeah. insights, his thoughts, his Absolutely. journey. You don't and see Thoreau, anything of Thoreau. Thoreau just appears as antagonist each time. And again, that's a problem in a, in a two-hander that is only really a one-hander. It's the duelist. It's not just it's the duel. Yeah, it's Dubert not the, gets pestered by an yeah. idiot. It's he, not the dueler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I, again, and, and also, it's Thoreau. Dubert is, gets pestered by an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that is, if that's not the strap line, then it should be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course, Faroe is the duelist. In fact, again, even though they say that, um, oh, he's Dubert, the duelist. Yeah, there's the, the a Joubert, um, Joubert kind of makes his reputation because they, they all say, you know, oh, you've got a reputation now. You know, everyone loves you because you fight these duels. He yeah. kind of falls into it. Like he does it because he's wrapped by his code of honor, but he's not mad keen for it. Whereas the very beginning, um, the voiceover is saying that all over Europe, men were chasing these highs of, of, yeah. of the duel, and clearly, Faroe is. is addicted to the highs. Addicted to it, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. but but but. But Dubert isn't, is he? he yeah. He's he's a he's a um a, a victim of circumstance. Yeah, so it would have been more interesting seeing uh, for yes. basically just duel his way across. Because again, what's the fascination with Dubert? We know that there is no there is no slight. There's nothing that would make him want to keep fighting a guy unless is it because he's the one that got away? It's like he's is that why yeah. he keeps on going after? Yeah. Him? He's the the guy that he can't he can't quite satisfy by fighting or killing him. Absolutely, and is that his problem? But we don't yeah. we don't we, we, everything we don't is know, do we? Don't know it. No. We don't know. And it's it's not actually you know, it's not that I want the whole film to be about Faro necessarily yeah. but I want Faro to take more of a role in the film yeah. um, to understand him a little bit more because uh, otherwise in in effect the film becomes just a series of vignettes yeah. about a, about someone who is who is pestering Dubert who's an idiot and <laughs> Dubert who for some reason adheres to this concept of honour to yeah. the extent that he has to keep falling into these you know and I think about Harvey Keitel as the kind of actor that he is he's in he's in a scene then for 10 minutes, he's not in a scene. Then he's in a scene. And for 10 minutes, he's not in a scene. And they're the same scenes, effectively, that he's in. Yeah. He, he's an idiot. He's really aggressively wanting a duel. They have a duel. Then you don't see him again for about 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, um, and you, you follow du, Dubert. He is, in effect, I think, the protagonist of the film. And actually, I think Faroe is possibly the more interesting character, except you're not given that opportunity to really get into that character so a bit more of a a bit more balancing out i think would have worked in that context however having said that i, I thought you know the, the acting is universally good it's excellent you know yeah. it's it, very engaging in that context as well um but but he this is where i come to the issue um despite all of that despite the technical prowess despite the acting despite being immersed and enjoying the technically superb way the film was produced and made why was I bored mm, yeah. in a lot of the film? And I think it was because what we've probably touched upon there, I never really connected with the story or the character of Dubert because of the vignette style of the film. 
it never gave me it never really gave me an insight into the actions of the individuals particularly because even even Dubé's concept of honor I don't really get it yeah it, even that isn't really explained because it, particularly in the last one he's got everything to lose there's no need for him to do this right so why is he doing it and it it, it made me think that it made me realize there's a balance in films sometimes right and I, I tend to find that um the the technical side of a film can take your enjoyment of a film a long way right so um yeah, on the one hand you've got the filmmaking process so you, you you know this could be the way that a story is told or the director's vision the flair of direct the director or how it's made or the approach that, that, that is taken the technique and the process effectively and on the other hand you've got the story you've got how engaging the characters are and you your understanding of their motivations right now if a film is superb at the technical side of it you can still enjoy the film yeah, yeah? You, you, you know you can you, you could still get some pleasure from the aesthetic qualities of the film right um but it can only take you so far and the technical side of the film can't compensate i don't think for a strong character development and a strong story i don't think on the flip side if you have characters you believe in characters you love and you understand their motivations you have a story which engages you it could be the cheapest looking film you've ever seen but yeah. you could still love it yeah absolutely and that i think is the problem with the duelist it's it's a bit too much style over substance yeah no i think i'll agree with that and i think i mentioned again the first half it was all character no plot in fact it isn't really character that's the problem i don't think it is and it's not plot it's yeah. style it's yeah. image it's visual it's technique yeah. it's very good right but it's cold yeah okay i was thinking again this is where um you have to do kind of reading around the the, the film to get it yeah. you shouldn't have to do that is that the idea was that or the the, the characters were is that um Dubert again is the aristocrat and Faroux is the the scrappy up and comer and yeah. it's a class thing as well he 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 hates everything about uh, Dubert because of that and you there's it was a little bit of that but it's, it's not upon. much well, wait, actually it isn't touch upon, but you get it from you get it from how the film is told don't you you you, you can yeah. feel that in there you but it's it. not it's not explicit yeah. but here's the problem is that um when you've got I mean Harvey Cartel again d kept his accent and he made it kind of a rough Brooklyn accent mm. Uh, mm. to be Faroux and Keith Carradine still had an American accent but clipped it he did a very posh American yeah, accent like yep. to be to be Dubert but when everyone else around you is an English character actor neither so one is, sounds particularly posh <laughs> yeah, you yes, that's very true that you, very so you true. can't signal the class difference when they're using those accents and everyone else has a different accent because it all goes to hell you've really got to choose what if they all had American accents you might get it you might get it yeah have, you'd get yeah. you might get that but it's it's not signified because like even when they you know the, the butler has a posher accent than Keith Carradine yeah. you're not getting that Keith Carradine is the posh one and that's no. a problem and it did make me think again I know they you know their budgets were tight and basically um Ridley Scott had to make it with whoever he could get but I think if given that Oliver Reed and Richard Chamberlain were the original choices, yeah. and I think especially Oliver Reed as Faroe would have been fantastic. I don't think there's many actors that could have got across that kind of menace, but also kind of relentlessness. And oh yeah, absolutely. He, he would have done an absolutely brilliant job. Yeah, he would have. And, and that's not to say that Harvey Cattell isn't good in this film. I mean, that's the issue, isn't it? He's he's he's. I think he I think he's good in this film. I think he's. Uh, it, I'm just not sure that. I'm not sure that. Yeah, I'm not sure that the role 
he's right. No, I don't, he wasn't right? right for the role. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's it. And um, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. Someone like Oliver Reed would have knocked this out of the park, you know. Yeah. Um, absolutely, yeah. So and and Richard Chamberlain as well. I mean, you, you can see there's they're two they're they're the opposites, aren't they? They're the opposites, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. even someone like Edward Fox in that role, you know, yes. might yeah. have been more appropriate. Yeah, Edward Fox and Albert Finney. Right, <laughs> those two would have been quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, and and so I don't know. You know, you could you can enjoy. I don't want to give the impression that I didn't enjoy watching the duelists. Yeah. I, on a technical level, I did. Um, but again, it's a bit like you know, if you build a, I don't know, if you build like a hi-fi system, right? You can spend, you can get bogged down. I think in getting the system right. You know, yeah. you buy the amp, you buy the digital uh, to analog converter, you buy the cables, you buy the internet uh, interconnects, you buy the speakers, you buy the record player, you buy the phono stage, the cartridge, etc. And you can spend hours doing that, and then you buy the vinyl of Baby Shark, and you put that on the <laughs> hi-fi. It might be the best sounding version of Baby Shark you've ever heard, but it's still Baby Shark, right? It, it's still that, and I, you need more. I need complexity. I need, yeah. I need character, and I didn't feel that there was any character in the film. Actually, I really, it, it, I felt like it was actually a long. If, if at the end it was like I don't know, something come up that said Guinness. <laughs> or um, so, I don't know what were the what were the um, cigar adverts in, Hamlet. in yeah, Hamlet or something like that. I wouldn't have. I would, oh, that was a long advert, but yeah, okay, maybe it was a special they have at Christmas. Or something like that, right? <laughs> you know, it wouldn't have surprised me. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Oh, there was it was a good advert for it was for Whitbread. It had um, and it did it had it, it kept uh, we used the lyrics of um, Abdullah Bulbul Amir, and it had. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that had people in posh hats and polices and, and fancy yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly, and exactly. Swords as well. Yeah, um, exactly. But I digress uh, again. Actually, come on, yeah, come on, character because I just brought Harvey Cartel. Uh, Keith Carradine again. I think you're right. I think he's an underrated actor, and I I've seen him a lot of him in his older roles, and he's, yeah. he's I think he's really good, and he carries I as well. Yeah. I think, and he has won an Oscar. He yeah. won an Oscar for best music original song for the film Nashville. Oh, there that was it. Yes, yeah. yes, Nashville. So not an acting Oscar. No, but again, I think. Um, He's he grew into his his acting chops. I think he's, I think he's so. better as an older man. Um, yeah. He just looks out of he looks like a young man waiting to become an old man. I think and um, yeah, it it did affect it slightly. But interestingly, actually, because um, they, they, there's a lot of as you say, dueling and stances. He's a, he's a very tall actor, and actually that made it. You'd think that would make him look more imposing for the jewels. He looked more frail. He looked um, because yeah. he was like he in the, the pantaloon. Weak, I think. Yeah, he looked yeah. he looked off balance. Whereas Harvey Cartel, yeah. being short, squat, and powerful, looked much more dangerous. He was like you know he was focused. He was like because yeah. in that big standoff, it's like he's got these long legs and long rapier. And you think he's all over the place. Harvey Cartel will just punch right through that. Yeah, well, um, Harvey, I mean, Farouk looks wild. Doesn't yeah, he? Yeah. He looks unpredictable. But he looks. He also looks honed. He looks like he, yeah. if he, he will just. He, he will and can kill you quite easily. Yeah, I mean, if 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 Harvey Cartel had taken that shirt off, it would have been you know just pure muscle. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> was, I was getting the impression Carradine would be just sinew. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it's back, back to the point of character. It's not again, not a lot is said that isn't about organising duels in this film. Um, <laughs> and again, there's there's one point when uh, um, Dubois is trying to sneeze, and he's he's just taken his wound yeah. in the duel, so he yeah. can't sneeze otherwise it'll open the wound up again. Um, and his mistress, Laurie, is just saying, "Talk of something else, distract yourself, tell me about honour." And 
he just almost the, over the first. I thought we're going to get an insight now. We're going to. Yeah, know, we are. Like, yes, that's what I thought as well. And he, he mm. kind of basically says, "Honor is everything." At you. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we don't get it, but I thought that would be a great moment to learn why the hell he's putting himself in this yeah. and why we know he always will. Um, and I didn't quite get that. But there was another um, an exchange that seemed. It was, it, was, it was so well written. It seemed out of place, not just in this film, but almost in this time period, mm. uh, like in the 70s, because uh, it's when Laurie is going uh, basically to take a look at um, Fouché. Um, Fouché, yeah. okay, Fouché, Fouché. Um, yeah. So she's going to look at Fouché because basically he's this is like between I think the second and third jewels. He's relentlessly going for Dubert. Yeah, she wants to try and understand him, didn't she? Yeah, she's you know, just see him. What what is this? I think she goes, yeah, I, I want to see who you're just pouring your spite into somebody because yeah. you've got you because you're so full of it yourself. Um, but it begins with uh, um, Faroe just goes, um, you're not armed, are you? I I knew a man once who was stabbed by a woman. It it surprised the hell out of him. And she goes, I knew a woman once who was strangled by a man. It didn't surprise her at all. Yeah, and I thought, yeah, that's, that's a, an interesting that's a, line, isn't it? That's a cracker. That's like a 2020 line now. Yeah, you is, you get that it? now yeah. and it would be yeah. prescient. It's like, yeah, it man, it's like yeah. that came out of nowhere. Yeah, it did. It did. You're right. And um, yeah, little things like that, which you think, well, yeah, play on that a little bit more. Bring that out a little bit. Yeah. But it, it, it very soon goes back to the stylization of the filmmaking, doesn't it? And yeah. I think that's probably exemplified in the 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 um, the Russia scenes, which have, you know, seem almost abstract in the way that they're filmed yeah, to a certain extent yeah. um but yeah you're right you're right about the laureate i think that's yeah really interesting point where did that come from and it's it, it it's it's a it's a script point not not in keeping with the rest of the film i don't think yes yeah it's um so yeah lots more of that would have been welcome but it, it did seem like where did that come from mm. <laughs> a moment of inspiration or something um but it's again uh, you're right about the rush of it was entirely abstract and of course the um they have a budget they couldn't they couldn't have fight more than four cossacks and all this kind of stuff yeah exactly. but it is interesting that it's like everyone's going to waterloo bam waterloo's over <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah wasn't that important well and and yeah and again that's the point because uh, well it, it is important isn't it but whether budgetary constraints or the high concept style of filmmaking yeah. um scott wants to make a film with nine adverts <laughs> nine, nine long advert length sequences right yeah, yeah. so actually the fact that waterloo happened it, it reminds me a little bit of it, it, it doesn't have the it doesn't have the excesses of this but it reminds me a little bit of baz Luhrmann's william shakespeare's romeo and juliet yeah right which, which is you know but all bombast and and you know it's quite a successful film i guess really but it's not really my cup of tea and that's another example of style you know huge style and verve and decision yeah. making in filmmaking yeah. without for me anyway without the connection to the story in that particular version of it right you know so there's huge, loads of examples of this i guess really yeah, massive style in that. but um, yeah. you're right there and yeah it's uh it's i guess it's not important waterloo wasn't important the fact that again this guy but yeah, it was clearly no, it wasn't. For was was a monster in Spain, but but nothing was invitation. Yeah, it was just it was just said about those jewels. Um, and I don't know. I I know. I mean, we'll come back to the jewels. This is what we should talk about. The jewels. They're very well choreographed. Each well, one has absolutely. a language and a pattern and a, and a style they of its do. own. They do. So yeah. you you think again, having said it's nothing but the jewels, and there's only like four or five of them. Well, they are good though. They're very good, and they're yeah, very they are. individual. Yeah, they um. There's this a bit of everything for everyone, and whether you like just brawling or, or fencing or hunting with pistols or this kind of stuff, it's all there. Um, so that's very well done. Um, I yeah, and I think I think the the the, the Lubeck duel on on horseback is the that that's a really good thing. That that is where I think 
Scott's style and vision works well because yeah. you it connects with the character a bit more, right? So you see you see him um, you, you see him on horseback and then flashbacks to him at the start. You know his lips trembling. That's an in, that's an interesting. I want more of that. Yeah, right? yeah. and it's, it's released it's released to that moment of tension, Absolutely. and you see what you think is a head yeah. rolling to the ground. You Absolutely, think yeah. dead. But the style of the film there supplements the characterization and the storytelling. It's not yeah. in, it's not it doesn't suffocate it. Whereas you have again the the cellar duel, which is beautiful. Oh, ultimately it's goes like a nowhere. painting. It, yeah, it goes nowhere. It starts in the middle. It ends before it's really started, even though it's quite a long one. Yeah, um, yeah exactly, exactly. You know, um, so I, I can't explain it. I, I'm I'm torn a little bit in the film because there's a lot I like about it in the way that it's made, but there's a lot that I felt was missing for me to really enjoy it. If that makes sense, it's not. I admire it more than I enjoy it. I think. Yeah. Yeah, it is a curious one. Um, I don't know whether it is worth mentioning the the, the cast and the the kind of yeah, yeah. The, the roll call of, of oh, yes. British thespians of the late 70s and early 80s, because there are a lot. <laughs> yes. um, I mean, you know, not I mean, Albert Finney's Irish, isn't he? But notwithstanding Albert Finney and Edward Fox, who we've mentioned, Tom Conti, as you've said, uh, Alan Armstrong. Armstrong's in there. Liz Smith is in there. Yes, <laughs> she's quite good, actually. actually. Yeah, she is. She's got quite a small role, but yeah. yeah, she's like a, a tarot fortune reader, teller, she, yeah. fortune teller. Yeah, exactly. Pete Postlethwaite, Postlethwaite in a non-speaking role. Yes, <laughs> it's just mad. General Shaver. Yeah, Hugh, Hugh Fraser, isn't it? Jenny Robert, Robert, Stevens. Robert Stevens. Robert Stevens. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's it's almost uh, uh, yeah. I almost feel you could. It was a bit like you know the Carry On films, right? They, they <laughs> just like you you, you, you. I can reel off Carry On film actors and actresses, right? Even though I don't really like the films, and they were yeah. made, you know, in the in the sixties and seventies and that kind of stuff. But you just know who they are, didn't you? Yeah. You know, it's the same thing in in this. It's just everybody. It's like oh that oh that's her. That's him. He was in that. Yeah. And again, a lot, a lot of the people seem to come in because they were someone's wife, and it's like, oh, well, just, we can just get him. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, that's quite good. Um, but I mean, it's a bit of a curio, isn't it? Really, to get that um, that group of 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 actors together in that context as well. Because as I say, Albert Finney has. I mean, he's on screen for what five minutes? I know, he's and he's, he's like credited third, I think. It's like credited he's, he's third. Like Edward Fox Keith is credited Cam fourth, and yeah. I mean, they're not the main actors in this. But no one is. I don't think no one is. Yeah, tell no one is. Um, no. I will say, was it um, one of the reasons why this film might have stood out? But this is made in '77. I'd imagine period films were not made like this. All I can think of oh, as contemporaries yeah. are like the Three Musketeers, um, yeah. where yeah. you know the uh, the straw is a lot brighter and yeah. less muddy, and, and everything's a bit more pantomime. I can't think. The other thing I was kept thinking of the Slipper and the Rose as being as contemporary. Well, <laughs> so, the, the, yeah, I mean, the only one I I could think of, and it's a big one to be compared to is Barry Lyndon yeah, um, yeah. The, the, the Kubrick film but you know that had a budget of I don't know 20 million at the time you know in mid 70s you know, yeah. massive budget it made a lot of money but it and that was filmed I mean you know Kubrick is one of these directors who you know goes all in right yeah. wanted everything to be I mean not, notwithstanding the fact that he's he's got a video a, a, you know a camera that is recording what's happening he wanted everything to be authentic so he had no electricity on 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 site oh everything God. was candles everything you know used the light of what was happening at that particular time it, it was all of that kind of stuff as well and it's i mean it's an incredible film i think actually it's an it's an underrated kubrick film i think it's one of his best it's a brilliant brilliant film okay. but um I think you've got that and you've got the duelist. I, you're right. I'm not sure that I can think of any, maybe something like Jabberwocky, right? Which is all kind of dirt and grime, but it's a slightly yeah. different 
it's a slightly different feel to it as well, though, isn't it? It's kind of humorous in that regard. It's deliberately over the top. Yeah. The Duelist does it authentically, I think. Yeah. Um, you mentioned 1977 as well. So I, I was kind of looking into this. I hadn't realised that this was made in 1977. And um, it's not really linked to the film per se, but 1977 was an incredible year for films. Um, so as, as well as Ridley Scott's debut, you've got David Lynch's debut, which was Eraserhead. You've got um, Wim Wenders, Werner Herzog, Francois Truffaut, Robert Bresson, Peter Weir, Andrzej Zulowski, Derek Jarman and Louis Buñuel, all making films that were huge successes in America, often for the first time. You had Star Wars that I was released in that year. You've got the first of the airport films, which was released in that year. You've got remakes of... Um, films that were you know very successful you've got um you've got woody allen annie hall one of his biggest films a bridge too far close encounters saturday night fever oh um i know and and never leave the of, cinema i know i know this this is all in one year right you know, i've just touched upon you know only a, a small minority of the films that were that were produced but Obviously, the biggest grossing film of that year was Star Wars, without yeah. a question of the now. Do you know what the second biggest grossing film of 1970? Given all of those films, what was the yeah. second biggest grossing film of 1977? I've not mentioned it, by the way, but it's Kramer versus Kramer. No, Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. What a, what a what a year to what a cinematic year. Wow. What a cinematic year. Um, Mind you, I quite like Smokey the Bandit. I do as well. I mean, yeah. yeah I suspect it hasn't aged well. No, exactly. I'm less keen on Smokey and the Bandit 9, or whatever, <laughs> however many they, they have. They only made it to 3. <laughs> oh, did they? Did I'm they? they have Smokey the Bandit 3, Smokey is the Bandit. Apparently, it was an in oh, the entire yeah. plot was changed mid-film, because <laughs> Jackie Gleason was meant to be dressed up in the Burt Reynolds costume and to become the Bandit. Apparently, Chef, Chef, Sheriff Buffett Justice had this notion that he had to become the Bandit, so he became the Bandit. And when they realised... It didn't really work. Jackie Gleason in the in the in the right bright red shirt and cowboy hat. They dragged um, the uh, the country wrestler singer who played Snowman to be the bandit and kind of just reshot hurriedly. But yeah, no, no wonder it's great. I love like of Jackie Gleason. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. I mean, his his performance in Live and Let Die. That wasn't Jackie Gleason. <laughs> um is there anything else you want to talk about? With the duelists here. I've lost my shit about Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> Anything more about the duelists? No, I think I'm good. It's um, like I say, it was it's visually good, and in fact, I watched again. I watched it a second time. Oh, did you? Because they were short, an hour forty. That's a, yeah, it's not that's a win for me anyway. It became a bit more clear. Um, just uh, that kind of Dubert rapidly descending because he was he was very smug when the yeah. film starts and yeah. it's only when he he hits the the tornado of uh fouché um not fouché uh, Faro. Faro. Yeah, where's but, this fouché come from well, albert, albert finney played fouché yeah, yes not, that was it yeah that was it yeah, yeah when he meets the the tornado of Faro, um that his his world shatters and it goes from being he's a pain but i can take him and then it goes yeah. to oh I, I, I can't take him i'll just get it over with and yeah. like, i can't take him i can't get over with he's gonna kill me and this it which again it's not about dueling then it's about a, a psychopath hunting someone else like it's like cape fear then it's like cape fear yeah Which i it's think a, you're right an, look at, if you've been looking to the eyes we're talking about again similar films we've mentioned it one if we're talking about you know someone's obsession uh unhealthy obsession um what was it the hurt locker you could be that oh, yeah someone yeah. who just because because yeah. is addicted to dueling he's addicted he, he's even though there's a war there's yeah. a war 
there's a really long war where yeah. France is not short of people yeah. to kill, and he just wants to duel people. Yeah, I know, and that's what I mean. I'm not saying that in the film, Faroe is a particularly interesting character, yeah. but I'm sure off scene, yeah, he's dynamite. Yeah, yeah. I want, I want to watch his home life. I want to watch a film about Faroe's home life. Because when Dubert gets dressed down by the general saying you're a disgrace, we know he's not a disgrace. We know no, he'll be exactly. all right because he's, he's yeah. politely spoken. He'll do yeah. well. But Farouk is a disgrace. So to have he a general is. say, Farouk, you're a disgrace, and then go and he rides up to battle, breaks three cap infantry squares and goes back saying, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's, you're right. That's that's great. And, you know, the the, the real life character of, of um, um, I've forgotten the guy's name. So Faroe, the yeah. real life character of Faroe, Francois Fournier Salavese, yeah. was described as the worst subject of the Grand Armée. Yeah. So I want make that film. Yeah, and yet about again, this maybe, absolute maybe, rabble yeah. rouser. Maybe you fight nineteen duels as well. You don't show yeah. them in in as many extent, but no. nineteen duels. That's not the occasional switch no, of swords and it's over. It's like, oh yeah. my god, I'm fighting another one. It's like no. never, now by the nineteenth duel, I'm sure everyone is going. They're doing it again. Yeah, there's, exactly, there's no yeah. crowds this time. It's like what? Because like yeah. one is one, it's exciting. Three, two, it's a sequel. Three, it's like wow. And then nineteen yeah. is like nineteen. Yeah, exactly. I almost want the film of that real story, right? Yeah. That's because that, um, there's that line in Raging Bulls when when they're going and saying that no one will fight them, so they fight each other. And it's like maybe yeah. it came down to that. It's just they, they all they had was each other to keep on trying to kill each other. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, but we didn't get that film. We didn't get that film. <laughs> we got this Who film. Knows? And, well, Woody Scott is apparently making a, a Napoleon series, so you know, never say never. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's one of his, you know, projects to be uh, to be to be confirmed. Well, back back to his first film. Indeed. Go. It all goes um, he also did the last duel, so I'm gonna have to watch yeah. that. Now. I didn't realize uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's very good. It's yeah. really good. I won't, I won't, I won't tell you anything about the story of the film. It, it is surprising. It's very good. I was about to clue in on the Star Wars guy being Adam, but all I can think of was Adam Buxton, and that's not the Star Wars guy. What is his name? Adam. 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 He's, he's quite a good actor too. It's not Adam Ant. Oh, he's it's, been it's, in loads good. of things. He's a really he is, good actor. Yeah. I like him a lot. Yeah. Um, oh, and sorry, this man Googles things whilst. Uh... <laughs> that's just shocking. Adam Driver. Adam Driver. Of course it is. Yeah, he's a good actor. Yes. So is Adam Buxton in his own way. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he is. <laughs> He is. Um, I mean, uh, any other films? I've, uh, we've kind of done that, haven't we? Really? I've said Barry yeah. Lyndon. There isn't yeah. really a huge amount, I don't think, that, that that compares to this in that particular era, I suppose. Um, yeah. I think we've fully covered the duelists, and haven't we? Well, I mean, it's the exciting bit next, isn't it? Ooh. It's it's the scores, and then what are we going to be watching in Indeed. May? But Ooh. first, we must uh, take a step back, have a refreshing sip of wine, wipe the blood from our rapiers, and uh, and go back <laughs> at it for the final round where one shall stand and one shall fall. Join us then. Welcome back, dear listener. This time it's Laser Quest at dawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. First, they're still dueling. It's a science fiction film, isn't it? They're still dueling. It's like Highlander. That's what this could be. Highlander, where they just keep finding people to chop people's heads off. That is Highlander. It is, isn't it? I suppose, yes. <laughs> Although I'd say if you were to find someone more miscast than the, uh, a French uh, Hussar officer, it would probably be either Sean Connery as an Egyptian or uh, Christophe Lambert as a Highlander. <laughs> yeah, the scenes. I mean, the scenes of um, Christophe Lambert in, in, in Scotland in like the 15th century, whenever it's set, with his quite strong French accent. 
is hilarious. <laughs> Nevertheless, I absolutely love that film. Oh yes, indeed. <laughs> what's the guy's name? Was it the Merovingian? No, the Merovingian was the Matrix. The uh, yeah. what's the the, the big fan? The Kraken. Brown. The, the Clancy Brown was. He had some. He's the Kraken, like, isn't he? No, no, the Kraken is uh, a sea creature. He was like from a, a place what's his like. Name, uh, then? No, I'm sure it begins with K. Was that the Syrian or whatever? He was from a, a place in in uh, Eastern Europe, I'm sure. But um, that we shall not Google, dear listeners. You'll just have to find that yourself because we can delay no longer. It's time for the scores. James, would you like to take the first swing at the duelists? I would, yeah. So um, I think I've mentioned this, not to belabor the point, I guess. But um, when you when you go all style, um, I think you, you will go so far. When you go all character and all story, you can get five stars i think this goes all style and so for me it's either going to be a two or a three um i'm going to give it a two two disembodied crombie heads because i like the way it's filmed but other than that it's quite empty yeah i I'd, i would agree with that visually lovely um mm. engaging in its actors um but yeah i find it a bit hollow and uh, I was I was teetering on a three, but then would I rewatch it again? Or um, I'd recommend I'd, I'd recommend I'd recommend someone watch it. But I think oh yeah, yeah. I would as well. Well, I would recommend someone watch it for the for the flair of the filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of how I'd rate it and remember it, um, I'm going to give it a two. Two for me. Two out of five. Oh, there we go. Two twos. Two twos. Disappointing, but nevertheless a, a worthy watch. Yes. And no. uh, speaking of which. Come on, which is a good name for a film. What are we going to watch next month in the month of May? What should be our film? We should be watching a civil action. Oh, and what film will we be watching here? <laughs> this is like a seven hour video footage of uh, Leicester Crown Court. <laughs> I take it you're not familiar with it. A civil action. A civil action. Oh, never heard of it. Ah, well, that's the weekend at Crumley's brand. So join us then, dear listener. <laughs> oh, he's so. got John Travolta in it. Oh no, there's me thinking it. Oh, that sounds a bit high class. That sounds. Ooh, that sounds a bit sophisticated. Uh, it's got John Travolta in it. <laughs> oh, it's a huge choice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Produced by Robert Redford. Ooh. No more spoilers, please. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> All right, yeah, no, I better not look, can I? Yeah, come on. <laughs> right. Uh, but join us then. Uh, don't be put off by James's mockery. He chose. He chose a duelist for us to sit through. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's not forget. I chose Dancer in the Dark as well. Indeed, we never will. <laughs> I wish I could. And after then, we wish you a very happy, very productive, and very healthy weekend at Crombies. Good evening, all. Weekend at Crombies. That makes sense. That was just maybe maybe you were going to say weekend at Crombies again. <laughs> so weekend fifty two. It's because I've got the number of the episode written down in front of me. That's not what I should be saying. But, uh, no. so, I, so I record it in my notes. <laughs> Welcome, dear listener, to season five, episode four, weekend at Crombies. This I want to say week again. <laughs> This is normally me that this I know, happens. I know. <laughs>